It's time for We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts this morning, Mike Schmidt and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to We Are Just Christians. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. We really do appreciate it. As we say each week, and we mean that, hope that you can continue to listen to the show each week. And if you haven't, aren't able to listen, listen live, of course, we'll tell you in a moment how you can listen to the recordings of this show as, as a podcast. But in any event, my name is Mike Schmidt, as you heard, and uh, I'm one of the elders and preacher for the Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard. Partner, as usual, is Gary Jones. How you doing, Gary? I'm doing good this morning, Mike. Good. How are well, you? Good, good. We're, uh, as I said, we're glad to have you with us, and We Are Just Christians is a live call-in show. Which means that in just a moment, I'm going to give you the numbers, how you can reach us, uh, get a hold of us, and, and maybe carry on a conversation. We like that. We like your questions. We like comments about things that you've been seeing in the world or things in your life. And we, we like um, positive or negative and things like that. So we would like to have a conversation with you. And uh, we promise you when you call in, you're not going to be embarrassed. We're not here to to put anybody on the spot. If we agree, we'll say so. If we don't, we'll let you know. And, and then we'll try to give you a, a reason from the Bible the, to sustain what we're saying or for you to think about, and for both of us to think about, actually. Try to give you some scriptures to look at. That's the premise of the show, that we believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. It is uh, sufficient for all of life, both public and private, both inside a church building and out, and uh, so we try to uh, use the Bible that way, even though it's a book written uh, over 2,000 years ago, even the earliest parts of 2,000 years, well, see, the most recent parts are 2,000 2, years, years ago. Uh, it's still pertinent to today and is intended to be so. The scriptures say that exactly, that it's intended to be some, a guide for man as long as the earth stands. And so we, we believe in taking a plain reading of the scriptures trying to understand what it means. Now, that that also involves, as the Bible even says, rightly dividing the word of truth, defining what is written for people in, as Christians since the time of Christ as opposed to that time which is earlier or whatever application we have to make. So we don't always ask the question, well, does this apply? We ask, how does this apply to us today in the Scriptures? So, But we invite your comments about that. Maybe you're not even a believer. Maybe... You've had some bad experiences with Christians who are hypocritical or other things like that. We'd like to hear about that. Uh, we don't mind you calling and talking about those things at all, and we're not going to attack you for doing that. So we're going to let you talk to us. We'll try to have a conversation, or you can even just ask your question, and then um, we'll give you the last word on whatever it is. So you can reach us here in Port St. Lucie at 772 340-1590, is the number where you can reach us, and we'd be glad to have you do that this morning. If you'd like to reach us by text message, Gary and I each have a text number that you can use during the show, and we'll try to respond, or during the week. It doesn't matter. We'll respond to it. My text number, Mike's, is 772 Seven seven two two six zero six one two zero. Gary's is similar. Seven seven two two six zero six two two zero. 
6220. So those are the numbers that you can reach us by text message. We'll give you some other contact information soon um, uh, in the show here. Get a little break. We'll do that. Mike, you you mentioned um, if it applies, basically, or how it applies. And uh, that just brings a passage to mind that I've been quoting a lot here. John 12, 48, he who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Jesus puts a time span on that. Right, all the way out. All the way out. His word is the standard by which we'll be judged. So if you if you are a Christian or basically you believe in a final judgment, uh, Jesus says, what he spoke and what he spoke through the apostles, as we read other passages, is the standard by which we'll be judged. <clears throat> yes, and we need to remember that. That's a, that's what that's a critical thing for us because that concept is often lost on people today. The idea that we can kind of do what uh, we want to because we live in modern times and all the other stuff is just anachronistic or not applicable is simply not the case. And not, not only in principle, but in fact. Obviously, we think the principles of Bible behavior, morality, and so forth apply today. And the world would be a lot better off if we lived by those principles. But beside the principles, there's just the fact of Jesus' commands and statements to men are spoken, not just to give us some good advice, but as a standard of how we ought to live and behave and how we ought to deal with God. So in any event, that's what the, that's the one of the basic premises of this show. So we go, we're going to try to give you an answer based on the scripture. Now, now you, you're going to, you probably will, maybe you already have sought answers in other aspects of life. Okay, that's, you know, that's what it is. We're going to give you a, a scriptural answer, and you're going to have to evaluate the value of that based on what you're reading. And so we, that's why we do a plain reading of the scripture, not based upon some presupposition founded in a theological textbook or systematic theology or the traditions of our ancestors as such, but one that's founded on a plain reading of the text as best we can do it here in this in this uh, Century. That's what it means to be just a Christian. It's just looking that that way, not saying, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm also going to look at it through the tradition of the popes and the cardinals and so forth, or of, uh, of modern psychology or something. We're going to look at it from the standpoint of the scriptures. Well, Gary, we have a caller on the line, and so um, we'll have to, uh, I think, we're going to wait just a second about doing that, make sure that I think there's a some kind of a problem with that, but we're gonna we have a call that we're gonna take in just a moment. I did find. Meanwhile, we'll uh, go to this. I did find um, an interesting article here. That you know, there's a couple of way in preaching over all these years and talking to people about morality. One of the big issues has been in my time in the last 50 years and years as a Christian for nearly as long as that or more in society is the family and, and, and morality and all those kind of things. Sometimes we give people the idea that the reason they ought, for example, not to have sex before marriage is because it's good for them, has some kind of psychological or physical benefit or whatever. And that may be true. The real reason is because God says don't do it. It's wrong. It's sinful. It's harmful to you. 
But on the other side of that coin, is, I think it is interesting that here, here's some research that people who marry young do not cohabitate before marriage are less likely to divorce, research finds, which makes sense in some ways. I was telling someone, I guess yesterday or the day before, that one of the advantages you have when you're someone as, such as me and my wife who are married at ages uh, 22 and 18, respectively, and that's the only partners we've ever had, the only lovers and partners we've ever had that we've ever lived with as such. We kind of grew up together, and even though we're extremely different from each other, our habits formed and our expectations formed together. And so, therefore, it's been a, probably a little easier. I was talking about this with one of my daughter, my youngest daughter, who, who married when she was 30 years old or so. And her now husband is a couple years older than her. They'd both been single up to that time. They're very happily married. But they have had a little bit more difficult time adjusting to one another, even though they both have a background of being believers, you know, and trying to do the right thing and all that kind of stuff. They've had a little more difficult time adjusting just to the ins and outs of living with another person and people's habits than Judy and I did. And I know that's because I'm so brilliant and wonderful. I'm sure that's what Judy would say. But actually, it's probably more to do with the fact that we were young and so forth. Now, had they both been married before, or uh, they would have even a more difficult time doing this. So it says here that sociology professor uh, Bradford Wilcox, and I don't see just off the top of my head here on this uh, on this um, thing where he's from, but he's the director of the National Marriage Project. He reveals that cohabiting couples are 15% more likely to get divorced than couples who don't live together before marriage. Now, now, the common wisdom of the world is young people almost universally believe, Gary, when surveyed, that the, and, and their parents tell them that their parents are the ones that tell them this, that they ought to live together before marriage so that they can see if they're compatible with one another. You got to try those you shoes. Try it those out. shoes on before you yeah, buy them. So that they're they, they, the advice has been for a generation or more, get live together first as a trial, and then you'll see if you want to live together. That's terrible advice, actually. I've known it all along, and here the research is beginning to bear that out. He was yeah. this fellow was surprised about this, saving cohabitation for marriage and endowment. Uh, and endowing your relationship with sacred significance, that is a marriage that's got a binding significant commitment, seems to maximize your odds of being stably and happily married later on. And he also emphasized the importance of a shared faith, which is linked to more sexual fidelity, greater commitment, and higher relationship quality. Now, we all know people that are religious, that, and even virgins when they get married, that are, have trouble. Well, that's not what this is saying. You're just increasing your odds of being able to make this work because it's difficult for anybody, virgins or not, when they get married to to live together. But you're increasing your odds. Um, more experience, he says, is not better in these kinds of relationships. Well, so. it's interesting, Mike. Uh, uh, my own experience points to the fact that 
It, yes, it's good to know your partner and have known them. Sharon and I met when she was 14 and I was 16. We dated. We did not live together. We did not cohabit, but we married when she was 19 and I was 21. We had five years of 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 a dating relationship behind us when we married. But there was something that was very important when we did marry that I think has helped us. And we've had our difficult moments and we've had some time that worked together. We've been married now for 54 years. But basically, when we made that decision to marry, we made a commitment to each other. We both agreed that there would be no divorce in our life. Right. And that kind of commitment, I think, is is often, I think, missing now. In oh, not today. often. It is absolutely missing. It's missing. And yes. that, that's, right. one of, that's one of the things that, that I think really makes an important difference in these things. Yes, it does. He says here that um um well the he interviews several people one of the women says the religious guys are more long-term guys they're going to share more my morals and my values meanwhile other potential dates are just quote looking to have a good time which is what you get when you have a hookup type culture yeah so if you if you cohabitate first you always see leaving as an option it's a uh, leaving is built into the equation of cohabiting. Whereas if you marry, leaving is not necessarily, like you're talking about, built into that equation. And with that mindset, once you're married, you remain married most most likely. More so than if you don't have, if you have at the beginning, the idea that uh, you can always leave if it doesn't work out. And so these partners can, quote, often see that there's a door open to leave she says, whereas we, since we didn't, we live with anyone beforehand, leaving is just not an option we would necessarily think of. So the psychologist Galena Rhodes added to this, and she said, we generally think that having more experience is better, but what we find for relationships is just the opposite. Having more cohabitation partners set you up for making comparisons that could undermine your eventual marriage. And there's a bunch of other research here. We need to get to the phones, but... I just think that's something that not only is true from the standpoint of the Bible, but it's certainly true. It's also now being borne out by relationship research, if it's any kind of objective research, not just based on what people want. I, I don't think you look to Cosmo to get your advice because they have a presupposition that free love is always better and so forth. Well, anyway. Well, I was just going to sum this up, then we'll get to the. You know, Sharon and I have had a dating relationship for almost sixty years now, Mike. That's that's a long time. We we were pretty well understood each other by the time we got to the point that we were married. Yeah, Gary takes Sharon out to buy a hamburger once every couple of weeks. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> He's a hamburger fan, by the way. Yes, I'm just teasing him. Anyway, yes, it's it certainly changes things when you. But the most important you thing, can leave you know, right? Time you want to. What what I what I want to say is the most important thing that has been in our life has been that commitment that we made at the beginning. Exactly. Exactly. That that's the that's the basis of biblical marriage commitment, not romantic love, and that's what's often missing and mistaken in modern relationships. Well, okay. that that. 
I'm, I'm going to keep interrupting. I'm, I apologize well, for that. I want to wrap this up. You get all the coughs and finish it up. Uh, stop but talking. Basically, what I'm going to say is our I will I will say our love has changed over those years. It's not the same thing that it was in the very beginning. Uh, now, once we started a sexual relationship when we were married, that made a big difference in what drew us together. Sure. And 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 that I, I cannot overemphasize how important that is in that relationship. I don't want to don't want people to think that it's not important. It is. But but my point being, according to that, I think the research here is trying to say that that without the commitment, that doesn't it without doesn't that work without well. that commitment, it doesn't, it doesn't function as well. Okay, let's go to the phones. Are you there, Ken? Yeah, Mike, I'm here. Thanks for holding. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, I'm, uh, last time I called, I had two things to talk about. We didn't get to the second one. Okay. So I was going to want... You'll have to remind me. Talk about that today. All right. I have to do with a question Dennis Prager had on his radio program. Uh, and... And the question was, what excludes you from being part of the church? And he was com- he was he was asking for Christians to call him and explain what excludes you. We had a little feedback there, Ken. He was asking, "What excludes you?" Becoming a member of the church. Okay. And he thought uh, Christian churches were were um, not consistent on this issue. Um, you, mean, it, it, you mean between an indi- in an individual church or between churches, they weren't consistent. Well, I I think he meant between churches. Yes. Okay. And That's... he specifically uh, wanted to know why gays were excluded from some churches and not others. I think. And I couldn't call and answer this question for him because this was a recorded program he was on. It wasn't in the box. So uh, I wanted to say, tell you what I think the answer is, and then you can tell me whether you agree or not. Okay. Okay, so I was surprised he asked this question, first of all, because I, I think it's the same. Judaism as it is for Christianity in a way. Uh, now, I, wait, you mean between among Jews, there's a difference between some types of Jews, some other types of Jews. Is that what you mean? Or do you mean... No, I'm, I'm saying in the Jewish religion, the, re, the reason to be excluded from Judaism is the same as it is for Christianity. Oh, all right, all right. And it's breaking of the covenant. Um, I'll give you an example uh, with Moses. Okay? Uh, God sent Moses to Egypt to uh, free the Jews from captivity. Okay? So, that's the same as Jewish wedding customs. 
God chooses some people, and then he sends someone to get them. Okay? And then, in Exodus 24, 3, Moses reads them the Ten Commandments and God's commandments, and they say, I do. They agreed to everything Moses said and became part of the covenant. After that, they went through the Red Sea, which is a symbolism of baptism. Okay? All right. So, going on. Um, there's two questions you hear a lot in Christianity, and I, I think this solves the question here for both of them. Can you lose your salvation? That's one. Once saved, are you always saved? And I say the answer to those, both those questions is no. You cannot lose your salvation, but you can give it up. You can reject, if you want, you can accept Jesus as your Savior, but then if you turn away from Christ and reject him, then, you, then you've lost your salvation. But you've given it up. You haven't lost it. And uh, same thing Same thing for once saved, always saved. No, not necessarily, because you can reject Christ later after you are saved. So I, I just want to know what you think about that. If you well, it's, it's obvious from the Old Testament that the people that were God's people were lost. He says very clearly in Hebrews that their carcasses fell in the wilderness and they were destroyed. And he means by that cut off, and then they and and then and when he he uses over and over in the old law that if a man who is even a man who is circumcised and part of the covenant, if he does certain things, would should be cut off from Israel, so he would lose that relationship with God. Now there's just hundreds of passages that teach that very kind of thing. I, I have to go back here and apply what you're saying, but I think Gary and I both believe that if a person continuously disobeys the Lord and breaks his vow to Christ to obey and to serve him, that he will be cut off and lost. So you can phrase this question, Ken, a lot of different ways, and here's how people do it. Can a believer lose his salvation? Can the believer sin so as to be lost? Then you have to define believer. Well, and this is the game that play. I say yeah. game. It's a it's a semantical game. Well, some would say, well, if he does do something horrible, then he never was saved in the first place. Well, he really wasn't a believer. Now, the trouble with that is you have Bible examples like in Acts chapter eight of Simon the sorcerer who, who believed and believed was and was baptized and became a Christian, and then tried to buy the gift of the Holy Spirit from Peter, and Peter said, you're lost in your sins, you know, because you've done this thing. You're still in the bond of iniquity because you haven't really repented. So the point is, he yes, he was a believer, but he sinned. Others, so I, I would, I, and, and then others say, well, once you walk, walk away from Christ, not by an inadvertent sin or by something that's occasional, but it's against the rule of your life, but you turn away from Christ and go live your own life and do whatever you want, that you cease to be a believer in that sense. That's the question. So you cease to be a believer. So in that sense, no, 
A believer can't lose his salvation. But a, the question really is, Ken, can a believer become an unbeliever? And I think the answer to that is yes, a believer can become an unbeliever. And unbelievers will be lost. Does that make any sense? Now, I don't know if that addresses your question. In, the but, ca in this case of homosexuality here, the question would have to be, under what conditions is this homosexual becoming a Christian? What are the conditions and the intentions that are designed there? There's two things, there's two types of situations that occur. And this is debated among, I think, reasonable Christians. Here is someone who is has same-sex attraction, homosexual desires. They realize that that's not right. And so they repent of that idea and they, they say, I'm going to live a celibate life and I'm going I'm, or I'm going to try to understand, to become not self same same sex attracted, and so they're baptized. They become a Christian. They try to serve the Lord, and at some point in the future, they fail at that. What should happen to them? Well, I think they should go through the same type of thing that a person who is a Christian who fails at being celibate as a, as a heterosexual. They need to repent and return to doing what's right, or be. Or is a or is a becomes a thief and continues to is a thief repents and then starts stealing again. They need to repent and come back. Now, the the other question is here's what's really the problem to me. That that's not a problem to me to work through that kind of a moral struggle on the part of someone because as a preacher and as elders we deal with that kind of thing all the time. In, in essence people that are trying to live a right good life and trying to be obedient to Christ with the help of the Holy Spirit, not just on their own, but with the help of God. And they fail. God makes provision for that. He makes provision for people to repent and return and to be restored and to continue on to slowly gain strength. The problem is when denominations and I'm not sure how this works among Jews, but when the Christian denominations then begin to try to say, well, a person has same-sex attraction, that's perfectly acceptable. They don't need to repent, and they can, over time, begin to practice homosexuality. And we'll accept them anyway. In spite, we'll even uh, accept people that are married homosexuals, or whatever the case may be, in continuing in the state of sinning by committing homosexual acts. I don't believe that same-sex attraction per se within itself is something that a person, that makes a person a sinner as such, any more than having some other kind of heterosexual lust for someone who's not I'm not married to. I need to control that lust and direct that lust or desire to the right object, okay, which in the case of homosexual can never be but can practicing that for sure 100% would be a sin and over time cut you off from Christ. It needs to be repented of. So we here would not accept practicing homosexuals as members of this church. Would we accept someone who says, I want to repent and change and do better. I need help with my struggle. I think the answer, generally speaking, not specifically, is yes. I, I could accept that person as trying to live a good life, but one who says I'm going to continue to practice homosexuality, no, I could not. I would not accept because there's no repentance. Gary, what do you think? Well, <clears throat> I, I would. Uh, I'm going to take it 
from a little bit different direction, maybe not exactly what you were we were talking about here, but I think in in the end it's the same thing. Basically, there's a principle that I think people don't really understand from the scripture that God looks to us to he wants to see our faith. In other words, he wants to see us do the things that he has set aside for us to do. He, he wishes to see that. And what comes down to, if we don't model our life after what he wants or what he's commanded us to do, that is essentially in itself unbelief. That is unbelief. In other words, if you... And I'll, but there is a process involved. In that. Yeah, there is a process involved in that. And, and there is a difference between someone who is overtaken in a moment in temptation and someone who says, okay, I want this, I know it's wrong, and I'm going to do it anyway. Oh, that's the point I'm trying to make. Yes, there is someone. That's a, there's a difference. And I believe there are some homosexuals who fall in either of those two categories. What's happened in the last 15 years, or maybe sooner since Obama became president and tried to push this, for one thing, however long that's been, is... Well, it started back in the 70s when that was taken off of a list of of mental illness and but perversion. I, I but I just think in general society, the idea is that uh, you don't, it's not a sin at all. And so no one needs to worry about changing from that. And it became illegal in, the, in, in social circles, in many cases, in the last, to try to change anybody. The gay and lesbian movement today, backed by the current administration, is making illegal for churches even to try to say to somebody, you should stop being acting on these homosexual desires. That kind of conversion therapy is illegal in many places. And so that's creating a big problem and it is an avenue for so avenue of church. But yes, I think there are some homosexuals who are trying to, to do better. Some are not. It's But now that society says, oh, you don't need to, it's easy just to continue in the sin. Now, Ken, we've lost you. We've forgotten you again. What do you want to say about any of this? Are we anywhere near what you're trying to say? I think. Oh, Ken hung up, it says. Oh, sorry. okay. Sorry. All right. Well, I've got to, first of all, we've got another call uh, here. And uh, let me see if I can figure out if, uh, if Jerry is on the line here. Are you on the line, Jerry? Not yet. Okay, Jerry's going to call back. All right. Sorry, I didn't see the message. We had two callers there. I apologize for that, fellas. But I, I think that in this case, um, what excludes a person? So what does exclude a person from the church? And that's a question. I'm, I wouldn't formulate the question exactly like that. But if a person came to me and says, I'd like to become a Christian, I would tell them what the Bible says about belief, repentance and baptism and living faithfully. And they tell me at the same time, well, I'm a homosexual and I don't intend to give that up. Then I would say, no, I can't in good conscience baptize you into Christ when you are telling me up front that you don't intend to stop sinning. He said, yes, I realize that I've done this. And one, one of the things I want to repent of 
is my homosexual sins, then I get all other things being equal, I would I would say, yes, you can become a Christian. It, no more so than if a person said to me, I'm living with my girlfriend here. We have sex regularly and we live together. And uh, I would. But we're not married. We're, we're not married and, and we live together. And we're not married. I'm at cohabitate without being married. And I want to be a Christian. I, and, I, and I want to be baptized, become a Christian, a member of your church, uh, member of the Lord's church. I would say, no, I can't do that in good conscience, while you're still actively telling me that you're going to keep continuing to sin without repenting. If he said, I know that's wrong, I'm going to move out, we're going to stop cohabiting, and I want to pray that I can, you know, control my lusts and stuff like that, I would pro all things being equal, Gary, I know there's a lot of ifs and ands, I would say, okay, because that's the case with almost everybody I've ever baptized. They're doing things that aren't right, there's making a statement. I know that that's the case. I want to stop even and they'll even tell me even things I don't know that are wrong that I'm doing. I want to stop doing them and serve the Lord. And I, so that's the case for all of us, not just people that are fornicators or homosexuals. It's a case for all of us about the things that we do. We all have to make a decision to turn our life away from our own self desires into what the Bible says we should desire. And that's required of us. But when someone says, no, I intend to keep continuing these sins, I'm not sure that that's right. Now, someone asked me, are you are you legally allowed to tell a person not to return to your church? You mean to, I guess, to that means to the building or to the assembly. Well, no, there's a difference in, in saying that you can't come here. I, I think both you and I, Mike, agree that whatever that person says they're going to do, they're welcome to attend. But there is a difference in being seen as a accepted member and someone who is in attendance. Well, yes, and that's that's it. And, and I, I and don't that, think that's and that's that's, that, that, that's that we ever had to call the cops on someone who keeps showing up. I've never had to do that. I know preachers though who have had to do that because this person either was very disruptive, and we've had people that have been disruptive in the past. I have who only come once or so. But I've never had someone that continually was so disruptive or threatening that I had to ask them to leave. That's always a danger, probably more of a danger now than it's ever been. But we did have a couple, for example, and, uh, you know, Lord willing, I hope those two fellows are listening this morning. I don't know that they are. This has been four or five years ago. Who came, visited, and, uh, you know, we talked to them, got acquainted a little bit, welcomed them. And didn't, you know, they didn't say much more and we left. And then I got a call a week later. Uh, would practicing a couple of a practicing homosexual couple be, well, be welcome to be a member of your church? And I said, practicing homosexuals. And I said, if you're a practicing homosexual couple, the answer is no, you can't be a member of the church. Are you welcome here? And the answer is absolutely yes. You can come and attend. You are welcome here. Do you all, all people who are doing, who are, who are not, uh, who are peaceable, are welcome to, to our assemblies, and would not be treated harshly or wrongly. I don't believe, unless there was a physical threat or a, a continual disruption. Now we don't consider asking questions to be a disruption. When it's a continual attempt to disrupt the service, well, that we have. Might, 
we have a service to ask questions and we have other services where it's generally not right where we generally worship together it's not about people interjecting their individual thoughts other our bible classes are intended for people to ask questions and assert themselves in that sense as long as a person is peaceful and respectful we welcome you here now there's a difference between that as gary was saying between that and being accepted as a member of this church in good standing as it were uh, we simply are not uh, we're not going to according to the scriptures we we have to take in first corinthians chapter five there was a man in the church there who was having relations with it says with his father's wife now the question is is that his stepmother is that we don't know the exact relationship but he was having an incestuous relationship with his father's wife maybe uh, and so therefore paul the corinthians were just allowing that to go on because apparently he was a prominent member or some kind apparently some were even proud of the fact they were uh, proud that they were being so liberal i suppose yeah but Paul condemned them for this and told them that they should return this man to Satan. If he wants to keep living according to Satan's kingdom and his rules, then tell him that you're not welcome in Christ's kingdom because you want to live by Satan's kingdom. And so Paul said that everybody being gathered together, you re- return such a one to Satan and you cast out, you purge out the old leaven. This was going to have a bad influence on everybody else there. And when they did this, then the man became shamed and repented and stopped living the way he was. I've seen today that that doesn't work that way very often. If you do confront someone about an open sin that they're committing as a Christian, when you confront someone about an open sin, they generally get angry and leave. So uh, that's more likely to happen. But the other happens too. Well, there, so that there. just tells you though that I'm I mean, that just I'm saying that example shows you the difference between being an accepted member of a church. And just being someone who's attending from the outside, an unbeliever, for example. And, and the circumstances back then were somewhat different. There was only, there was basically only that church they could go to. He could, if there were different groups at that point, he could expect the same behavior from them. You can go today, find a today, church that will today. You, you can go find a church that will basically pretend to sanctify anything. Right. You can find a church. And I'm not recommending that you do that. I'm not sanctioning those churches. But I say, well, go find that church. No, I, I don't think that's really the option. But you can. There's no reason for you to force yourself here. But um, that's the way some people do it. They, they want to force this church to alter what we believe the Bible teaches. Not going to do that. I don't think that's the idea. So what we would like to do instead is try to help people to change their desires which all of us have to do to desire to do do what is right whether you're a heterosexual or a homosexual or whatever the case may be that's really the object of christianity okay i I don't know if i said this explicitly but i know jerry called earlier i have a note here from the producer jerry if you want to call back that'd be great or ken you can call back too or anybody else let me give you the numbers we'd like welcome anybody to call Maybe you want to talk about this issue or something else. 772-340-1590. 772-340-1590. Now, I have had acquaintances, colleagues in Churches of Christ who have actually had to call the police on what we might call today a stalker, a man who, who comes, needs help, 
uh, has what we would call mental problems, maybe, or just personality problems, and be, o- over time becomes more, th- more threatening and more sinister and dark and violent. And this is not an uncommon problem in churches. Uh, people view someone like myself or Gary, someone who's going to be forced to accept them. So therefore, since they've lost all their friends because of their bad behavior, they're going to force me or Gary to accept them. And then they be, when, when that relationship proves rocky, we cannot endorse their behavior or teach them that they need to change. They become agitated and or threaten violence or actually become violent. This is just kind of a risk of being a religious person that is viewed by the world as a soft patsy that's an easy target that has to go along. We get that people come and ask us for whatever that money or a new couch for the mother. I'm not making that up or whatever the case. New dentures for the mother. Refrigerator. And, and they will, a new refrigerator. And they will tell us, literally, you have to help me because you're a church. They've got the idea that somewhere that because we're religious, we are go, being compelled or forced to give them whatever they ask for. And, and, and we, I don't think the scriptures, and, we're very generous here, but I don't think the scriptures compel us to help any particular person who's not a member of this church who just wants stuff from us. Do you, Gary? No, I, basically, we are urged to be kind and responsive and merciful to people. Jesus urges that throughout the text we read, both in the Old Testament and the New. There but, are parameters but, established. But, there, but there, are, there are exceptions. We, we basically, and, and certainly self-defense is one of them. Well, yes, you have, obviously you have to protect yourself and others. And, and others. So there are limits to these things, and that, that limit, you know, is, is there's guidance in the Scripture for those limits. Yes. We can look to those. And, and the, church, the churches are even given instructions to how they spend their money that they collect. Yes. And on what they spend and who they give it to. And individuals certainly have discretion as individuals. There's more latitude with individuals to help financially or materially help those who need help. We have more latitude as individuals, but even there, there is discretion is to be used in that situation. Well, there, there was an example of, of one of the gentlemen that helped us begin uh, this group many, many years ago. And we had a gentleman who was obviously homeless. He used to come by on sort of a semi-regular basis, and he was asking for food and help. And uh, we were right at that time, right next door to a restaurant. And to give him money, uh, he keeps coming back and so on. So finally, uh, we went over to the restaurant and and told the the lady there and gave her a credit card number and said, you know, give him a meal, but don't give him any alcohol. Okay. So. In trying to do that, we were trying to help him with the meal, but trying to also be sure that we didn't encourage things that we knew would be detrimental to him. So what you did there was you allowed him to save the money he collected to buy liquor. Yeah. And you let him say that because you gave him the food. Yeah, People but, think that buying food is good and so they, cause, because if you give them money, they'll buy liquor. What they do is they just collect other money or have money. They buy. I, I, does that sound cynical? Well, no, it's just actually what they do. 
there's a there's a deeper thing at work. And I have no pro- listen. I've given dozens, if not hundreds, of people money and help. Gary has, this church has, as individuals, and we've actually and we spend money regularly from our treasury to help our members who need help. So it's not a matter of being stingy. It's also a matter of people say, "I need, we need to help somebody." And my first question, as a gray-haired old man with many years' experience in this, is define help. Yeah, what's, what's what help? is help? Because people want me to help them today, and what do they usually mean? They want me to. That means give me what I think I need or I want. Give me what I want. But giving you what you want may or may not be help. Now that becomes especially obvious to you when you deal, as I have, with people addicted to drugs and alcohol. Well, and there's the, there's the case where people use represent themselves falsely to do that. Am I expected to help those Not people? Not when you can realize it's false. It's um, I mean, so you got to define what help is, and you got to be. You, as I say, there is discretion involved in these things. It's not a matter of generosity. Now then, I have met Christians, to be fair in this discussion, and we're all kind of off the track a little bit, but I've met Christians who are more concerned about letting that dollar bill squeak out of their wallet than they were in genuinely showing compassion for another human being. You know, And, and uh, they will always apply the passage, even when it doesn't apply, of let, if a man won't work, neither let him eat. And there's an application of that passage in which we believe in here, but there's also that can become an excuse for well, not being generous with the money that you do have. So there is that also. Some people are just stingy. Well, I, and, and I also... And I don't think this church is stingy. Well, and I also agree with the what was done in terms of providing the guy food, but no alcohol. I agree with that. I'm not, I mean, there there's... What you're doing not necessarily is keeping him from every avenue of getting alcohol, but you're showing him you have yes. a different value. And I and I agree with that. I wasn't disagreeing with that. I'm just saying don't think that stops him from buying alcohol or drugs. It's just going to let him use whatever other money he gets or whatever he already has to do what he wants, which points to the real problem of yes. help. That's my point. That was to illustrate yeah. what is help. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Because just and, and giving a person cash is very often sometimes not help. Sometimes real help is doing nothing. Take the <laughs> prodigal son, for example. What was going on there? What brought him to his senses? The fact that he yeah, was. It said literally, he he would he wished he could have eaten the pig's food, the husk given yeah. the pigs, but no man gave unto yeah. him. Yes, that's what brought him to, to say, I will return to my father. So I remember saying many, many years ago that this young man was eating the pig's food. I was incorrect, according to the text. The text says he wished Wish he, he could, could have eat. eaten it, but he, no man gave to him. And I'm telling you, when you have to apply that principle to your own children, that's hard or to people. Oh, that, that you is love, hard. That's an extremely difficult Bible principle to apply. But and you know here's the other problem it doesn't always work because some people won't even come to their senses when nobody At helps them and yet for others the only time and if you realize this the only Gary I have actually prayed for some people that I love 
that their life that they would that their life would fall apart completely and they would be just ruined that their life would come to ruin i prayed for that for them because my belief in dealing with them is nothing else will bring them to their senses except being completely at the bottom hitting the bottom and having no way to come up now then there are just a few people that that's the only thing that works and sometimes it does work it it does, i know it works because i can give you i can name the names of people i know that that's worked with hopefully the people that you're dealing with if you listen to the show are not like that but you have to consider that that is also a christian response to someone who needs help well i'll i'll, confi- the I'll confess i have prayed that god would put a person in the circumstance that would have the most effect to have yeah. them come to god yeah that's a better prayer than mine but but it, I have prayed it's, that it's, it's the same effect that once you've tried everything that uh, giving just just what what you do in cru- cruelly to a drug addict, for example, is you by by giving them a little money every now and then when they're desperate, you just keep them suspended off the bottom. They want they're they need to bounce along the bottom and just stay there. But you keep suspending them just above the bottom, which is in no man's see the. I'm going to get really a far stray, Gary. Addiction, and and most people have a normal sense of happiness and satisfaction. And every now and then they might go below the line a little bit and feel unhappy or discouraged. But generally they have a sense of well-being that's a little bit above a certain line. When you begin to drink or take drugs or use pornography, I'll use that as a common example today, whatever it is that you use, to soothe your brain. Some people are closer to that line of despair than others. You drop below the line, and then when you take the drugs or the sex or the alcohol, it brings you above the line very temporarily, but when you the physical effects bring you back then below the line shortly, and you go further below the line than you were before. Now, if that's a once-in-a-while experience, you'll soon return to a normal state of well-being mentally. But if it's continuous. But if you keep doing it, yes, you soon start living below the line. Every day is below the line. And every day then there becomes a need to get to take something or do something that gets your feelings above the line, even temporarily. And the more that you do that, the further down you go each time when you come back to sobriety from alcohol, drugs, sex, whatever it may be, you get further and further below the line, and it takes more and more to get you above the line. And so you reach this point where you're just basically bouncing along the bottom for some people. Now, then there are other people who become, I think this is maybe even more dangerous, they become functional addicts, Gary. They, they learn to control it all, and they can still be a fairly successful stockbroker using cocaine. They can become a fairly successful lawyer or even a truck driver drinking, but they learn to control it just enough that they're never happy, they're miserable, but they're able to function enough to make it. Oh, and, and, and there's, there's all sta- lots of those people. There's all stages in between. I, and, th- and this is a sin. This is a sinful way yeah. to live. It's, it not only, it's sinful because it's so destructive to you and so hurtful. But I want, I want, I'd like for us to go back just a second to what you said originally. What is help? 
And I'd like for us to take a look around us at what's happening to the country today. The emotional thing that we want to do is to give somebody what they want. But when you look about us today, what the government is doing, <clears throat> even what some <clears throat> charitable organizations are doing, uh, is nothing more than I compare Suspending it to Suspending people off the bottom. <laughs> right. Well, basically, it's keeping them down there because yeah, yes. it's, it's basically doing that. Because I liken it to, I go into the, we went into um, a park, basically uh, Waterton Park up just around the Canadian border. And there was a sign there that said, don't feed the animals. And yet while we were having a picnic, this adolescent moose comes up and he's obviously been fed before and he's mooching off of us. And as we left, basically, the ranger said that moose is not going to survive this winter because he has lost the ability to feed himself. This is that's what we're doing. To, that's literally what we're doing to people. And, and there is plenty of evidence that. That is one factor, not the only factor, but is one factor in why there are way more jobs than there are people trying to fill the jobs today, because there's next they're just waiting for the next next shift. handout, and and they got enough to make it, and it's a lot more trouble for them to go take a, a low paying job and work if, than it is to just wait for the next, and so they become accustomed to that. Now that's not. To say that's all that's going on, please don't misunderstand me, or that everybody is like that. But there's plenty of that out there. And and the truth is, the hurtful thing, oh, you're just me. No, the truth is, that's hurtful to people. It destroys their self-worth. It destroys their self-value, and it, destroy, it, it lowers their moral standards. And when you start living in shame, whether you like it or not, eventually you fall into sin. This is how people cause other people to sin by their actions toward them. So be cautious about that. Now, there's a psychological term for some of this, Gary, whether you like it or not. Enabler is the psychological <laughs> yeah. term for this general this general kind of situation. I, I think we can take some of that with a grain of salt, but, but I've see, seen where that actually works in many circumstances, the idea of enabling. But that's that's the thing that... I've uh, been an enabler. That's the thing that we need to understand. The Bible teaches us that there needs to be wisdom in application of these things, and that's difficult to do in cases. Well, we've had situations here in this church where some of our members are in need of financial help, and, and uh, if it's a once or twice thing for... Okay, that's one thing, and we've been very generous about that, I think. And people know that they can, that they, if they're a member of this church, they know that they don't have to just lose their house and suffer and can't pay their bills. But on the other side of the coin, we've had other situations that develop over time, various reasons, where people are in a continual need for a long period of time. And so our policy has been, as harsh as this may sound to some people, we we're going to get involved. We, we in get your... involved in their life. We get involved in what's actually happening, not just to regulate every dime they spend out of meanness or stinginess, but so that we can get them actually back up to on their feet, if possible, to take care of themselves. So because not because we don't want to give them money, but because that's what's good for them. Right. Yes. And so Gary, especially because he's good with finances, uh, just ask Sharon, he 
<laughs> Gary will often sit with them, go through things, go through what they're them, what they're spending, and help them to see if there are any areas that can be improved. Yeah. Help give them we we help them with jobs, all kind of reasons. This is this is compassion. This isn't just a controlling stinginess. Could be, but isn't in this case because the object is to actually help people to improve and get back on their feet again rather than just continue a, a cycle of dependency, which is not good for them or and, the church. You and, know, and, giving and people I'll, money I'll, ruins relationships. Yeah. It, if, you, if you borrow money from your friends regularly, it will alter the relationship yep. and you will lose friends over this. Well, and the other thing is, and, and, I, and I'll confess to this, I tried when we were doing this, Mike, I tried to set it up to be unpleasant because you have to motivate them to get out from under this. If it's something that you, yes. yes. Now, now anybody can come up and have a, a, a circum a convection or circumstance, convergence of circumstances where they just get into trouble financially. Most people live a little close to that line, maybe too close. That can happen. And we're understanding about that. But when life is planned to live that way, it is. But, Gary, I've got people that call me from time to time, have had, who when I see who's calling me, I kind of dread to answer the phone because I know most often they're going to ask me for money. And, and you know, and what I hate about that is not just that I might have to give them money. God's blessed me. But but the point is it, it changes my attitude toward them, it alters our friendship, it alters our relationship, not for the better. The borrower is servant to the lender, the Bible says. Do you believe that? Well, yes, the it, Proverbs it turns that. out that way. And, yeah. and that is true, and that is what you need to try to avoid in these situations, that the person who borrows money from you, or if you're a borrower, that you become a servant to the lender, because I don't want my friends to be my servants. Okay, that just is not the same thing. Well, the problem is even I know that I saw this to some degree in my own family because parents want to help the children and they want to continue to help the children. But if they continue to do this, it's not good for the children. They have to learn to be on their own. Right. Yes, they do. That that is exactly right. And that and that's a hard thing to too. Too. I got a friend. It's my brother's. He they, he lived grew up in Belle Glade. This is tough. Good old George. He's been a family friend of ours. He's my brother's superintendent for so many years. And George out in the glades, he said, I had a rude awakening. Me and my brother, got a bunch of kids in the family. He said, my mother, I turned 18. said, the next day, sitting at breakfast table. He said, my mother reaches in her purse, takes out a takes out a $20 bill, slaps it in front of me and says, there you go, George. There's $20. Find yourself a place to live today you're 18 years old you're on your own wow and uh, he said yeah, i yeah. looked at her like what <laughs> she said yes you're you're a man now you're on your own take care of yourself that 20 dollars will tide you up if you're careful the 20 dollars will feed you for a couple of days until you get a job and get a place to live and he said i slept on people's floors you know i slept in without a bed for until i could get myself on my feet but i tell you what George, one of the most hardest working men I know, has worked every day of his life since then, saves all of his money, <laughs> takes care of himself, and I, I, can, I credit his mom with a lot of that. 
Well, our time is gone. Uh, we appreciate you listening today. Thank you so much for, for that. Take a look at our website, which is wearejustchristians.com. Wearejustchristians.com is our website. You'll find podcast information, recordings of these radio shows, sermons, so forth. And we'd invite you to come and be with us on Sunday mornings. at tw- We meet at 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard in Port St. Lucie, 2196 Southwest Savona, at 10 this morning for Bible class, 11 for worship, and then 7.30 on Wednesday nights. We'd love to have you. We're not going to ask you for money. Come and see and see what New Testament Christianity is all about. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you. You've been listening to We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie on WPSL Port St. Lucie.